let's dismiss to our classes. Next Sunday, we will go straight to our classes at 9.30. We won't have a course. I'd like to give you more time to teach. So the beginning next time, we'll do that. Exodus chapter 3. I'm in the book of Exodus, not quite going verse by verse, but sort of. The website announcement says August, the month of August for Exodus, which is not possible to go through, of course, all the chapters, but um, I'm, I'm going to just take my time and try to teach through this book and good things to learn. It's brighter in here, did you notice? And uh, so they got that done real quick. I think in the back room as well. Mm -hmm. All right, Exodus chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Exodus, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for letting us be in church. Thank you for giving us the help to be here. We pray, Father, for those who are still a little bit um, down. We pray that you strengthen them and encourage them. Bless us in all that we do and say today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the overview so far has been God made contact with Moses through a burning bush. He tells him he's concerned about their plight and he would do something about that. And then God calls Moses to be their great deliverer. And we'll talk about that today. And then eventually Moses concedes and then he goes. So Moses argues though with the Lord in chapter three. This is a famous passage of scripture in the book of Exodus. And he will, uh, it reminds me of the book of Job. In the book of Job, Job says something, his friends say something, Job says something in the next chapter or two, and then it's kind of going back and forth. And this is kind of like that. And so this book reminds me of Job. Well, in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse number 11, the first argument that Job has, Job, <laughs> Moses, that Moses has, when the Lord calls him to be the great deliverer, in chapter 3, verse number 11, and Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's the first argument and the famous statement, Who am I? Who am I? In verse number 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And so his second argument, he is, he is afraid of not having the right answer about God's name. And in each case, the Lord answers each argument. In chapter 4, verse number 10, the third argument that Job has, the third hesitation, the third, uh, I don't want to do this, I'm not so sure about this, verse number 10, 410. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And so he says, I'm not eloquent, I'm not a good speaker. So these are the three arguments that Job, uh, 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 Moses has, and God will overcome these three, but there's some drama in all of this over here. 
Go back to chapter 3 and verse number 11 and verse number 12. The first argument, chapter 3, verse 11 and verse 12. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, and I have sent thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And so who am I? The Lord says, I want you to go. I want you to go back to Egypt. And he says, who am I? Now, Moses, you know, is not a coward. <clears throat> Moses is not afraid of going back, but there's a hesitation there. The reason I say he's not afraid is because, remember earlier in Midian, he had confronted some, some pretty rude uh, shepherds at the well when women were coming to get water, and he took care of them. And so he's not a coward. And he's not a coward because, remember, also he struck an Egyptian to defend his fellow Hebrew. And so he's not a coward. He's a pretty tough guy. He's a real man. But um, there are some things that he's dealing with, and it makes him hesitant to go back to Egypt. And he says, um, uh, who am I? Who am I to go against Pharaoh? Well, Moses, after being in the desert for 40 years, in the backside, being a shepherd, he's thinking, go back to Egypt, face the Pharaoh, the king, the mightiest man in the known world at the time. Uh, who am I to do that? I have no say. I have no authority. I'm not commissioned by, I'm not an ambassador of some country of some sort. Who am I? Can you appreciate his hesitation? I have nothing within myself to confront the Pharaoh. I'm just a lowly shepherd man. And so he's actually expressing a word that I think you can see. He's expressing his inadequacy. His inadequacy. His inability uh, to confront the most powerful person uh, at the time. And he just doesn't feel like he is fit for the job. He doesn't feel like he is able to do the job. He doesn't feel like he is qualified for the job. A lot of things that's in his mind, I think, that he can actually say, who am I to go? There's probably someone that's better than me, someone who is more fit for the job. And that's kind of a, a normal human thing. I don't criticize Moses for being hesitant at this point, And I don't find fault with him. Because I try to project into him the humanity of this man and the fears and his background, everything combined, the whole context of him going back. I, I can see why he's afraid to do that and why he's hesitant uh, because he's a man of like passions as we all are. Remember that verse in James? Elijah is a man of like passions. And so we're kind of like that too. And so God replies to help him, to encourage him, to strengthen him, to give him some courage. He says this in verse number 12. He says, certainly, because you're scared, because you're hesitant, <laughs> not there, but I'm reading into it. He says, certainly, I will be with thee. I will be with thee. So he gives him a reason to want to go or a reason to overcome his personal objections to not go back to Egypt. I will be with thee. Now, God had already, in verse number six, identified who he is. Moreover, he said, in verse six, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So after he tells him that at the burning bush, he then tells him, after he says, Who am I? He says, I am God, and I'm going to go with you. I will be with you. I will be, quote, by your side. I will be there to back you up. I'll be there to support you. He says, I will be there with you. And uh, he's given him some, some strength, isn't he? Giving him some some 
something to say, okay, if you're going to be with me, then I can go. He's trying to encourage him because he's identified himself as God and he'll be at his side. Well, this is kind of like a child going to the dentist for the first time. And you know how scared that can be going to the dentist for the first time as a kid. Or going to get your first haircut at a barbershop. That's kind of scary. Uh, going to school for the first time. Uh, and you're just a kid. It's kind of scary. And then mom says or dad says, I'll go. I'll drop you off. I'll go to your class, your homeroom class. This is old school stuff. Homeroom class. And uh, I'll be with you. Well, that's kind of encouraging because someone that you know and you have confidence in is going to be by your side. Big brother, big sister, or, you know. And so that is encouraging. So God is essentially telling him, I'm going to be with you. So you can't do this, Moses. I know you're afraid. I know you hesitate. I know uh, what you're thinking. But uh, I'll be with you. Now, look at verse number 11. There's something else here. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, the thing that you're looking at in verse number 11 is a little bit more about why he's hesitant to take up the baton and go. He says, who am I that I should go, that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Can you see what is being said here? I have to go to Pharaoh and confront him. I have to lead the people out. I have to do all of this. Well, um, uh, I'm getting a clue here that the weight of this big responsibility to lead them out of bondage into the promised land, eventually, it's all upon him, he thinks. He's taken upon him the weight of this whole responsibility. I should go into Pharaoh. I should bring forth, but, but God didn't say you're gonna bring them out. He says, I will get you to be the leader. I'll get you to be the spokesman for me, but it's not you that's bringing them out. He says, I will bring them out. Not you, Moses, but Moses feels like he's the one to do all the work, do all the heavy lifting. Uh, I, I can see why he feels like, I can't do this. In verse number 17, 317, the Lord tells him again, and I have said, verse number 17, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of Canaan and so on. See, God says, I'm going to do it. Moses, just go speak for me, represent me, but I'm the one that's going to do that. Moses was hesitant, I think, because he felt like he was the one to have to do all the heavy lifting, whereas he was not. I always remember the story about the flea and the elephant crossing a bridge. <laughs> flea and the elephant crossing a bridge. Very graphic picture. Elephant and flea cross the bridge. The Brickleo Bridge shakes and wobbles like this, you know. And then they cross to the other side. And uh, the flea says, whew. Boy, didn't we shake that bridge. Well, it was all the elephant. Moses thought he was the elephant. Moses was not the elephant. He's just a flea. And so I can see why in the flesh he was terrified of going back to do this great job that he felt he could not do. And the fact is he could not do it. And that's why God says, I'm going to do this. Just do what I say. And so by his power, he would bring Egypt to their knees. And he just wanted God, God just wanted Moses to obey him. That's what he wanted. Just go and do what I say. Please, Moses, I will use you. Now, there's a verse in the New Testament that tells us we can do what God tells us to do. Can you think of what that verse is in the New Testament? 
There's a verse that says you can do what you need to do. I added that part, what you need to do. Come to Philippians chapter 4. I know you know the verse, but it's good to look at this good verse. Philippians chapter 4. God said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Not you, Moses. It's not your role to shoulder the whole load. You're just driving the truck. Let the truck's power carry the load. That's me. Philippians 4.13, it says, I can. That's a very positive statement. I can. I can if I can. If no can, no can. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's a very good verse. He's talking about you know sacrifice giving the, the Philippian Christians, but I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Well, that's a very encouraging verse because Moses, I can do this. I will do this. I've already told you I will do this. It's going to happen. I just want you to obey me. And so uh, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, there are some things to consider about that verse that you need to remember. Um, it is to say, you can do all things. Qualify the all things. What are the all things that you can do? What are the all things? I can do all things. You can have a mental list about the, all the things that you can do. Would it be true that the things that you think of, God says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me? What are the all things? What are the qualifying things? Let's say man says, I can fly. People say, no, you can't fly. You say, well, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. And if you don't qualify the all things, you might think something like that. I can fly. Therefore, I'm going to jump off the whole first line building downtown. Well, you know you cannot fly. But if your attitude is, or you're thinking is, well, no matter what anybody says, I'll believe what God says. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, so he can help me to fly. So that's not a qualifying, I can do all things. The all things are not, I can fly. So that's an example of people taking that verse and running with it and putting into it a definition or a meaning that is not supposed to be there. So what are the all things you can do that he will help you with? The all things I can do, Christ will help me. It's not doing something that is extreme. I'm going to go against the one-way traffic in my car. God's going to protect me. I can drive this way. God's going to protect me. I can do all things through. That's kind of foolish. I can, I can go to a certain place where it's very dangerous without any uh, protection, consideration, any preparation, and I'll be successful. Uh, people, do, people do things in the name of Christianity or in the name of God calling them and sometimes it's a very wrong thing to do because that is not what God meant um, there's a man about two three years ago a missionary went to some very dangerous country and I think he was killed I forget his name but uh, he really believed that he was called to go to this place uh, I'll, I'll call them quote natives and uh, but he and it was known to be dangerous but he went anyway, believing that God's going to protect him. It's kind of hard to find fault with that kind of conviction or desire, but uh, should there not be some uh, common sense applied to this? Sometimes when in a country there's a coup, you got to leave the country. And if the uh, embassy says, you know, you need to leave right now, you Americans, you foreigners, you got to leave right now because this is going to happen. You can stay and say, well, God's going to protect me. I can do all things through Christ. You got to be very careful about that. Because sometimes it's a matter of life and death, and your life will be taken if you're not cautious about common sense things. 
Um, to me, I always equate that to, I'm gonna drive from here to Waianae on one eighth tank of a gas, make a round trip. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna, I'm gonna drive to the Mojave Desert with one quarter tank of gas. It's not gonna happen. Even though if I said, God's gonna watch over me, he's gonna help me to do this. It's not gonna happen. And so we have to have some sense about these things. So what are the qualifying things about, I can do all, what are the all things in other words? What are the all things? What he wants us to do. Now, to Moses, he says, go back to Egypt. Who am I? We can apply Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ because he wanted Moses to obey him. So the qualifying things about all things would be the things that are right to obey God in. The things that God says to do, you do it by faith, by obedience, and God will give the strength to carry out this doing what is right to do. So that'll be the qualifying thing in my mind about how he will give you the strength to do that because it's something he wants you to do. You can do it even though you're afraid to do that. You can say that, you can, you can do this because he will give you the strength to do that. Doing the right thing, obeying him. And so it doesn't mean you can do anything you imagine to do. That is not the qualification. The qualification is on obedience issues, obeying what the Bible says. All right, verse number 12. Now he makes, God makes a statement here that's really good to see, good. it's very encouraging. Verse number 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. That is to say, look, there's no doubt about this, Moses, I'm gonna be with you. It's like saying today, we say today, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Are you sure? For sure, sure. Garen, I guarantee, Garen's barons they say locally. Uh, certainly I will be with thee. And so God makes it clear that he'll be with them through it all. Going back to Egypt, in Egypt, unto your deliverance, out of, the, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, the whole thing, he says, I will be with thee. So he makes it clear to him, through it all, he will be with him. And God will do the work. He says to Moses, just trust me to do the work. And so there's a verse in the Old Testament that reminds us about this incident, it's in the Psalms. There's a phrase in the Psalm that says, thou art with me. What would that Psalm be? For an apple fritter, what is that Psalm? Name that Psalm. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not fear, I shall not want. Uh, what's the rest of it say? Yes. Yea, though walk the thou the shaft, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Moses, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've got your back, I've got your front, I've got your side. I'm with you. And so when nobody else is with you, Moses, I'll be with you. You're gonna take your family with you, but I will be with you too. I'm gonna to come along with you, Moses. I will be with you, I'll protect you. I will encourage you, I will strengthen you. I will do all the work, just obey me. And so there's another verse I like you to think about in the New Testament where the New Testament Christian can claim the truth of verse number 12, certainly I will be with thee. And you can apply it to yourself as a New Testament Christian because it is addressed to a New Testament Christian. It's found in one of the gospels. And the verse talks about, I'm with you, I'm with you. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. 
it's a well-known verse, but you need to see it. You need to look at the well-known verses. You need to see the verses that are very common, the simple verses, and not forget these. They are encouraging verses. Matthew chapter 28. Moses, I certainly will be with you. The New Testament Christian can claim this verse. Matthew 28, verse number 20. In verse number 19, the Lord says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. How much will you be with me? Even unto the end of the world, geographically and in your life. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now come back to Exodus chapter 3. You find here a truth and a principle and a direct statement how the Lord is going to be with you as he was with Moses. So in Genesis, Exodus chapter 3, who am I? Uh, who am I? Can't do it by myself. That's true. I'm going to do the work. Just obey me. Who am I? Verse number 11. Well, Moses, you are a chosen vessel. That's what you are. I have chosen you to do this. After all of these centuries, I have chosen you to be born. I've chosen you to raise in Egypt. I've chosen you to be prepared for this great work, to be the leader of my nation. And I'm going to have you be the one as a chosen vessel with a specific purpose to do this. Now, I have to say something about this. Being a chosen vessel for a specific purpose. Would you have to be like a Moses to be considered I'm called of God, I'm chosen of God to this specific purpose? Are there some other specific purposes that God would have chosen His people to do certain things and they are noble, they are godly, they are spiritual, and they are right things that you can do that's not so great as a Moses situation? What could these be? Being a mom. Being a mother. I'll write that down. Being a mom. What else? Being a dad. Anything else? Being a carpenter? <laughs> Being a musician? Okay, all of these things are very true. In other words, hesitate to think you must do something great for God. And just remember that um, there is purpose for every Christian. There is a sense of, I'm chosen to do this. I'm called to do this. And what you're called to do, what you're chosen to do, it's a great thing in the sight of God, like being a mom, being a dad. How irreplaceable is a mom and a dad? How priceless is a good mom and dad to the home? You've heard before that uh, a lot of black communities have problems with crime and everything else too because a lot of the kids grew up without a dad. No dad in the home. Well, where would they get their father figure from? Probably some gang leader. Where would they be influenced? Probably some peer that's in the gang too. And how are their values shaped? Well, by the gang, initiation process, and uh, prove your manhood by robbing this place and this 7-Eleven, and all these kind of things that are associated with gangs. But that's not all just about gangs. It's about other influences as well. And so how irreplaceable is a good mom that, you, and you say, uh, mom and dad's not valuable? We would say, from the, from the biblical viewpoint, Mom and dad are indispensable. <laughs> they influence to raise their kids. Uh, so in a real sense, mom and dad are chosen vessels. Chosen vessels. And then you go into the ministry part of things. Well, that's another thing too, but you, you don't want to discount the, the everyday, the so-called ho-hum 
the so-called boring responsibilities of being a mom and a dad. Uh, and sometimes uh, I think fundamental independent Baptists um, make it a real out of balance issue by saying, okay, if you're a man, God wants you to be a missionary or if you're a preacher. If you're a woman, God wants to be a missionary's wife or a pastor's wife. If you don't have a, a compulsion to be that, go there anyway. Um, God doesn't want you to be a doctor or a nurse or he doesn't want you to see. And worst of all, he doesn't want you to be a housewife, worst of all. That is so wasteful. Well, that was thinking back in the 70s and 80s, I think. And I think that was very prevalent. And uh, I remember I remember hearing, <laughs> I remember hearing uh, uh, Jack House say to a bunch of preachers or some kind of conference, he was saying, um, let the Episcopalians be the doctors. Let the Episcopalians be the doctors. Let the Presbyterians be doctors. You go to the missionary, you be a missionary, you, you know, be so winner, all those important good things. He was really saying, it's not important for you to feel like you're a chosen vessel to raise your home right. And of course, the rest of the story is pretty sad for his family and his life. So, application, a little PA there. Moses is told by God, verse number 12, uh, I will be with thee, and you are someone special to me. You are chosen to do this, in this case, a great work historically. Um, you and I are not historical in the sense of being known for greatness, but really, when you think of it, it's not, it's not being spiritual, right with God, living for Christ, raising a Christian home. Is that not significant? Is that not perpetuating, quote, the faith? Um, Lois, Eunice, Timothy, and then after him, spiritual children, so on. You, you never know. If you just obey God in the small things, what God can do, it might, he, might, he might actually do some big things for the small things. You never can tell. And let me just emphasize that. Um, let's say a child grows up with no interest, good Christian boy, good Christian girl, with no interest to be in the ministry, yet they live for Christ every day of their lives growing up. And they're in a secular work. They're in the military, they're in civilian life, uh, they have a trade or they're in an office or maybe they are um, um, uh, working at the swap meet, whatever anything like that that can be looked at as not very important not very valuable in God's kingdom well I beg to differ with that because you need people in this world to be salt and light for Christ and so if people are faithful to Christ every day living a Christian life as they should they have an influence on others their influence might be just one or two people in their life well that's that's good too that's important too they could influence their employer, they could influence others, and uh, you never know what God will do with a man's testimony and with uh, the Word of God. And so uh, we would say uh, that person is chosen to be a good testimony for Christ in this world, and that'll be true. So you can feel proud about yourself in a humble way, <laughs> okay? All right, certainly I will be with thee. The Lord is my shepherd, and who am I? I'm a chosen vessel with purpose. That is very true. In chapter 3, verse number 13, argument number 2, the second hesitation that Moses has, chapter 3, verse number 13, 
The first one was, who am I? The second one now is in verse number 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses has anticipated uh, skepticism on behalf of the Hebrews, on behalf of the elders specifically. What shall I say unto them? They say to me, what is his name? He hasn't heard that from them. He hasn't been there yet. He's anticipating as he goes back, this is what they'll say to me. So he's kind of afraid about what could be said, what they could be thinking. And the argument here is about uh, him not having the right answer. Not having the right answer. Uh, I know a man who studied a lot and he overstudied. Well, how can you overstudy? Well, he overstudied in the sense that he he prepared um, something uh, for like five minutes or uh, he prepared to go up past he spent a lot of time preparing so much so that he never would he never would actually go out and do what he wanted to do because he's so afraid of not having an answer for a question he was overthinking things he was over anticipating objections if I would use the witnessing as an example he would always want to go but he was always afraid to go because he was afraid of a question an objection um, that he thought they may ask. Well, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, who says there's a God? There is no God. What do you say to that? If God is love, how come this, all, this, all these bad things happen in his life? He's afraid of these questions. He was anticipating objections. Well, okay, good to be ready, good to be prepared. Um, study to show that self-approved unto God, work not to be ashamed, so on, and be ready also to give an answer. That's what he took to be very much sincere, sincerely took that. Good. But he was overdoing it so that he was almost paralyzed. He wouldn't actually do anything because he's afraid to try. He's afraid of maybe failure, afraid of getting a question that he gets stumped. He's afraid of these kind of things. Well, Moses was afraid of what they might say. Would they say these things? Likely. Likely. But since they hadn't asked him yet, he anticipated the objections and the skepticism. And that made him afraid. And sometimes... It happens to people today where we, we we think they're gonna say this we think this is gonna happen therefore I don't want to go well I feel not having the right answer about God's name about God's name who sent thee who shall I say uh, what what shall I send to them uh, and so look at verse number 14 the argument about God's name he anticipate the skepticism in verses 14 and 15 and God said unto Moses, God answers him. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt, uh, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Verse 15. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. And so he tells them, okay, you're wondering about what to say, who sent you? Say, I am that I am has sent you. What's that all about? I am that I am. I am that I am. Well, he says in verse 15, this is who I am. Uh, this is my name forever. Tell them that I am sent you to them. Moses, if they ask you that, who sent you, Moses, tell them this, quote, quote me, I am that I am, has sent you, tell them that. 
But what is this I am that I am all about? It's about God who is eternal, uh, ever living, uh, self-sustaining, eternal, uncreated one is the one who sent you to them. Tell them that. And so there's all kind of debate about the name of God, but uh, he does say, tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. Past, present, future, I am there. Uh, God tells Moses, I am that I am. Along with that, you can say, Moses, I am your strength. I am the one that will deliver the people. I'm the one that's going to convince Pharaoh to let people go. And I'm the one that's going to bring everybody out. I am that one. So the name of God, I am that I am. Now, a question to ask you, uh, you probably know the answer, but at what name, at what name will every knee bow to? Well, is it going to be the name of I am that I am? Uh, some people are very strict about this and they're going to say it's the name of Jehovah, it's the name of Yahweh, it's the name of, well, but what name will every knee bow to? Jesus. That's found in Philippians chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, and then uh, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, there's a little bit more here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 20. At the name of Jesus, Philippians, to every knee shall bow. But, added to that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 20. Ephesians 1, 20. Begin at verse 19. Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is, uh, name that is named. Hmm. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head of the, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that is filling all in all. And so there's a lot of authority and power behind that name. And from Philippians, it talks about at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In Revelation 19, when the Lord comes back, there's a name written on his thigh. Let's look at that name. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, the second coming, when the Lord is revealed to the world as he returns. Revelation 19, verse number 11. 1911. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And it was uh, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is, of course, Jesus Christ coming back. And so, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow. And so, if people want to debate about which name to use, which 
it does tell us what it tells us. And so the deity of Jesus Christ is shown here that he is actually God himself. It's a mysterious truth, but it's a, a revelation from the Bible that Jesus Christ is God in both New Testament. As a matter of fact, that Christmas verse we like to refer to Isaiah 96, his name shall become wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Okay, so the son of God is called the everlasting father. So all of these things makes our brains kind of get short-circuited, but it does tell us by the revelation of the Bible that Jesus Christ is actually God and that we will bow at his name, at the name of Jesus Christ. That'll be everyone and everything that is ever made. If you think that through, there's all kinds of things that can come to your mind, and it'd probably be true. Everything will bow to everyone, bow to him. Those in our lifetime, those before us, those after us, they'll all bow eventually to Jesus Christ. All principalities, all powers, all potentates, everyone's going to bow down to him. Just imagine what that means. Well, the Old Testament and New Testament equates the Lord Jesus Christ as Jehovah. In chapter 3 of um, Exodus, come back there again. Couple of verse number 16, 17, and 18. 316. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you. Uh, so he tells them in this verse, Go to these elders. There's 27 of them, uh, excuse me, 70 of them from chapter 24, verse number 1. 70 elders. Go to these 70 elders and tell them that you are representing me. Verse number 17. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction. This is the message. Tell what God is going to do. Tell what God's going to do. Verse 18. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days, and so on. So God now tells Moses, Tell Pharaoh this. This is the message to tell him. Make it short and sweet. God says to tell me to tell you, we're going to leave. Let us go. <laughs> and uh, it's very simple. The Lord God said. So there is no embellishing of any words. Just Moses, Moses, Moses. Just tell the Pharaoh this. Just pass on the message. Don't add subtract it. Just pass on the message. Don't change it. Just give him the message. And that's what I want you to do. So Moses represents God in a very real way. And likewise, there's a lesson here. Because the Christian in this world represents Christ to the world. We are called ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador has some privileges. And we have some privileges too. Prayer, the presence of God, and many other benefits being a Christian. A real ambassador in this world, they can park anywhere they want to and get tickets and never have to pay for them. That's true. An ambassador is immune from the law of the host country. They can do anything they want to just about, and they're protected. But um, we are ambassadors of Christ in a good sense in which we represent, we speak for him. And our message is just to repeat the message he gave us to repeat. We don't make the message up. We don't make the gospel up. We don't fabricate. We don't add to it. We don't say things that's not in the gospel. We just tell what God said. Really simple. That's all he wants us to do. It's a big job, but it's a very simple job. And uh, so in chapter 3, verse number 19, he also says this about the Pharaoh. The Lord tells Moses what's going to happen. He tells who to go to, 
he tells what to say and he tells the reaction of the Pharaoh verse number 19 and I'm sure I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go can you imagine Moses here now saying well if that's the case why am I even going <laughs> why am I even going if this is what's going to happen kind of comical verse number 19 I am sure it's like saying certainly verse 12 I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go no not by mighty hand and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all thy, my wonders which I will do in the midst thereof and after that he will let you go now he says here's what's going to happen Moses the Pharaoh is going to reject the message that I tried to give to him don't take it personally it's Pharaoh's own heart that's the problem not you and so he tells us what's going to happen by the way this is God saying to Moses I know what's going to happen in the future I know what's going to happen in the future he's saying I know the future don't we sing a song about that Francis about the future we know the future I know who with my hand kind of thing it's a good song God is saying to Moses I know the future that he will not let you go now the, here's the question I'd like to ask you before we finish up this part of the lesson because he knows what Pharaoh's going to do did he cause Pharaoh to not let them go because he knows does that equate to a cause is God the cause of Pharaoh not letting them go here's the thing to understand just because God knows the future doesn't mean he has brought up all the circumstance for that thing to happen sometimes he's just saying this is what's going to happen because he knows the future and it's really that simple when we get to the plagues we'll talk more about Pharaoh's heart being hardened by God but for today I want you to know because he knows the future doesn't mean he caused something to happen the argument against God is that okay if God knows everything how come he let the Jews get uh, destroyed by Hitler well who says that he because he knows the future he caused that to happen knowing the future and causing it to happen not the same things it's called causation in, in, in apologetics when you try to defend the faith it's called causation the knowledge of God the foreknowledge of God means that he caused something to happen that's not true he just knows it's going to happen uh, if you want to stress this out logically God knows who will be saved and who will not be saved it doesn't mean he caused them to not be saved or he forced them to get saved because he knows who will and will not be saved that really takes a lot of the arguments about people who believe that God has predestined people to be saved and not be saved just because he knows he knows because he knows we don't know because we don't know but God knows because he is the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end so he has to know but he didn't cause things to happen just because he knows he sees it happening uh, as, a, as a crude illustration while I'm standing here I'm looking at the floor I can see a lot of the floor from this vantage point if an ant was coming this way uh, let's say a rat was coming this, let's say a centipede let's say a, a, a Komodo dragon was coming this way a Komodo dragon is coming this way and there's a pig over here a goat over here tied to a rope Francis tied it to a rope and so I see the Komodo dragon coming from my vantage point I know it's going to happen but I didn't cause that to happen I just saw it's going to happen I can tell you this is what's going to happen and that's kind of like how in a very crude way that God knows but he doesn't create or cause the thing to happen that's bad it's not just about to blame God for something that he says is going to happen he just knows it's going to happen 
somebody tied that poor pig, that poor goat to that stake, and that hungry commodity um, dragon will do what he's going to do. But I didn't cause that. I just saw it, and I just told you what happened. Okay, we'll have to stop there, and then we'll come back at 10.15.